Welcome to episode 117 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Allison and Anthony. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Allison and Anthony, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. I'm recording this on Father's Day. Um, I'm recording this as I walk through the, uh, the wild area behind my church after service this morning and reflecting on what it is like to be a father, what my father was like, what I was like as a father, both before and after coming into the program, how coming into Al-Anon has changed the way that I'm a father, how it, I think, enabled me to be a better father. And I think I want to start by reflecting back on my childhood and, and my father and my interactions with him. The uh, He... He was a good father. Um, he was a loving father, although not outwardly so, I think. I don't, don't remember a lot of physical affection from him as a child. But what I do remember, what he did do for us was to you know, sort of make us understand that we could do whatever we set our minds to and that he supported us in that. He was a photographer. He worked basically his entire career for the Eastman Kodak Company as an executive, and so was able to bring his passion into his work and his work into his passion. I got my first camera when I was six years old, and it was a little uh, brownie camera. It took... 12 photos on a roll of film, very simple, very straightforward, and I learned a lot by just being able to play with it. Uh, There was no message about, oh, you have to be, only take the right pictures, because I think he understood, maybe from his own experience, that the only way to really learn something was by doing it, and by making mistakes, And sometimes those mistakes turned out to be uh, glorious mistakes. And sometimes they turned out to be horrible. (laughs) And and that was okay. I learned from my father, you know, when I was a kid, I thought he could do anything. Maybe many of us as children think our fathers and our mothers can do everything and anything. He, uh, He taught me how to do simple home construction. We had a summer place that we went to, spent the whole summer there every year while he went commuted to work during the week and was with us on the weekends. And we built a cottage. We built a screen summer house. I think I talked about that last week. And so from him, I learned the skills in doing that. Learned setting, setting foundation, digging holes, pouring concrete for, for foundation posts, learned some electrical wiring, learned a lot of stuff that, you know, has, has been good for me in my adult life. Uh, these are skills that I think in some sense everybody should have, but uh, I learned that from him. He provided us a good, safe home environment. Uh, he was a loving husband and, and modeled that, and um, you know, my parents are still married. They will be celebrating, I think I figured out, their 63rd 
wedding anniversary this summer. And so I grew up seeing that, uh, seeing that although on occasion they had their disagreements, they worked through it, they really loved each other, and, and they worked through their differences and were able to, to be together um, in, in a good way. I hope that, that I brought that with me uh, into my life as a, as a husband and a father as well. You know, it, he was not a perfect person. He had some anger in him, and one of the things that, that I learned was that his way was the right way to do things. And if I wasn't doing it the right way, uh, that anger would come out. He would, uh, he would yell, um, and, uh, and I, would feel, uh, I would feel like I had screwed up, that I was a bad person as a result of that. And unfortunately, that's also something that I learned from him and that I, that I carried with me into my adult life, and that to some extent I still have. So moving, moving forward in life, I, uh, you know, I grew up. I went off to college. I got married uh, twice. <laughs> so that uh, that whole staying together thing didn't quite stick as well with me. The first marriage only lasted three years, though. I think we just got married too young when our lives were just about to change, and and they did change, and we just grew apart. I got married to my current wife. We had children of our own eventually. That's a whole separate story that I maybe will tell at another time. And I came into my own fatherhood. And, you know, I don't know if you've experienced being a parent, being a father or a mother. I surely didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know what I was, what I was getting into. Um, and I didn't know how it was going to change my life. And our children were born, we have twins, they were born, I think, five weeks early. Our daughter ended up in staying in the intensive care unit for, for several weeks after that, um, and it was touch and go for a while. Um, didn't know if we were going to really have one child or two to come home with us. And the intensity of the emotion around that was something I hadn't, I had never experienced before. Um, this um, fear for this, this young person who I didn't know. I mean, she had just, just been born. But also, um, you know, our son came home with us. And all of a sudden there was this, this baby. And um, at the same time as feeling the, the wonder, an absolute wonder of, of, of seeing new life come into existence, but also then there's like, there's this person that I have to take care of that's in my life, and I don't know how to do this, and this is all new, and this is all strange, and, and maybe you've experienced this, this yourself. Um, it's, it's not a feeling that uh, one feels one ought to have, uh, but it definitely is something that was there for me. But also just the, the love, um, the love of, of my child, and my wife went back to work fairly quickly. She had been home on bed rest for several months before the birth, and so she was ready to go back to work. Um, and she was also taking evening classes at that time, and so I 
got to spend a, a, a you know a lot of time with with the kids and and with first with just my son and then when our daughter came home again there was this feeling of well who's this new person invading our lives who is this thing um, what what is, I don't know this person I don't and and then and then of course that that changed very rapidly but it still that it was disconcerting it was disconcerting to feel like my life was being invaded by an alien who was somebody I was supposed to love and I did love but it just was it was weird um, but anyway um, at that time in in their life my role as a father was to love and to nurture and to care for um, and to keep them safe to keep them fed to keep them healthy um, but at the same time I was the person that I had had grown up to be and I had this this core this angry core that um, I had I had learned that when when the kids didn't cooperate, um, I got angry. When they wouldn't go to sleep in the evening, I got angry. Um, and uh, I didn't know I didn't know how to control it. I really didn't know how to control it. I didn't know how to to deflect it. Um, and I look back on that with some shame. Uh, with some, uh, yeah, shame's shame's a word here. That. Uh, you know, I was I was definitely not being the best father I could, but I didn't know how to be any different. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the tools to love my kids, to understand that when they weren't going to sleep, that that was just that was what was. And I, and and there was you know you can't force a baby to go to sleep. <laughs> you just can't. Um, and to be angry. That they're not ready to go to sleep just was not. Uh, it was not helpful for me, and it was not helpful for them. And and, and um, I, I'm very thankful that there was sort of no permanent damage done. Um, because I know, I know there were times when I shook them, um, and I look back in horror at that. Really, how could how could I have been that person? How could I have done these things? But I did, and. You know what I learned in what I've learned since in Al-Anon is that I can't change who I was, but I can change who I'm going to be, and that's you know that's uh, something I'm grateful for that I am able to change. So the kids started to grow up. My wife started to drink more. My anger got deeper and more rageful. Um, and uh, I've talked before in the podcast about the way in which my rage that was at least in part due to my inability to cure or control my wife's drinking, my rage came out on my children, at my children, um, and how I, I can look at the way in which particularly my daughter reacts um, to people who are angry at her or to situations where she does not feel in control and feel that I bear some responsibility for that, the way in which she reacts. Uh, that That is coming from her young reaction to my anger, which was very much withdrawal. Uh, she told me a few years ago that 
when that happened, when I would start yelling and, and pounding on the table or whatever, that she would just go away. She would go into the other room or up to her room, and she knew that that it would be over, and I would be uh, remorseful. Uh, and the pattern—it's a pattern. It's a, you know, it's a very recognizable pattern. That looking back at it I, again, I'm like, wow, how could that have been me? How could I have done these things? So, the middle part of their childhood, um, for me as a father. Uh, I think I continued to enjoy it. I continued to try to participate in it, but there was this core of there was this core of anger that I was holding that I'm sure uh, had a, had a strong effect on their lives, and at at at, at a point in there, obviously, I uh, I found Al-Anon um, when they were 11 years old. Uh, my wife went into uh, a treatment program where the the message to the family and friends that that I heard when I attended the that program I heard it more personally I heard that it was not my I was not able to nor was it my really responsibility to try to cure my wife's drinking, that my responsibility was to myself, to help myself. Um, and I, I, I picked up a flyer that they had, and it was titled something like, Is Elanon for You? I don't remember the exact title. It had 20 questions on it, and I tried to answer those questions to myself as honestly as I could, and I answered yes to 16 of the 20 questions. I answered maybe to one of them and no to the other three. And I've seen, seen that, that flyer, and, and when I put myself back in where I was in 2002, uh, I still have those same answers. So I think I actually was being uh, pretty honest about it, which is amazing to me that I sort of had the ability to do that then, but I did. And at the bottom of this flyer... It says, if you answered yes to three or more of these questions, you may benefit from going to Al-Anon. <laughs> so that was a double whammy that afternoon. The, the, the understanding, the sort of sudden impact of this understanding that I couldn't, I didn't cause it, I couldn't cure it, and I couldn't control it, what we call the three C's, that sudden realization uh, on top of this flyer where... Yeah, it seemed like I definitely qualified to go to Al-Anon. Uh, got me there. It got me there. And I've told that story before. You go back to, I think it's episode 50, 51, 52, somewhere in there. Uh, it's titled My Story. And uh, I, I tell my story as, it, as I understood it a couple of years ago. At least I tell it there. Uh, but the, the real... As, as regards today's topic, the question is, well, how did that change the way in which I'm a father? How did that um, maybe help me be a better father to my children? And certainly the first part of that, the first part of that is that I had a place to talk about the things that were going on in my life, the things that were fueling that anger and rage and... I think 
as part of part of it was a being able to talk about this. Part of it was maybe starting to absorb some of the other messages of the program, let go and let God of there there being a higher power that could help me. Uh, as I absorbed those messages, um, as I was able to express my anger, my inner feelings, um, my rage went away. It just it went away, and there still are times when. I react angrily to things that are happening in my life, but it is nowhere near at the level that it was uh, before I found the program. And I think it continues, I continue to, it continues to happen less and less frequently. Um, I am more able to recognize the symptoms of the anger coming up and to uh, deflect, um, maybe say a quick prayer, maybe take myself out of the situation that's causing the anger for a little bit so I can let it settle. Um, I have tools, and I've learned tools. So I came into Al-Anon when my children were pre-teens, and they became teenagers officially at the age of 13, about a year and a half later. Uh, and I was apprehensive. I had all these images of what life with teens might be like and how they were going to be uh, uncooperative, sullen, withdrawn, etc., etc., right? And the interesting thing is, at the end of that year, I discovered that I really enjoyed teenagers, that yes, they were, they were frustrating, they were challenging, they challenged me, they challenged everything, um, but they were, they were their own people. They were having opinions independent of mine, um, which is part of the challenge. And it, I, I am, I'm so grateful that I came into the program at, at, at the time that I did because as I was learning to let go, as I was learning that I don't run the world, as I was learning that I had to let my wife find her own path to recovery from her alcoholism, uh, I was also able to apply those same learnings, those same tools in my interactions with my teenage children. And I... You know, I don't know what it would have been like without the program, and I, I probably would have done, you know, okay at it, but I really know that because of what I learned in the program, because of being able to let go, because of being able to let people be who they are rather than who I think they ought to be, who I want them to be, um, that I gave my children room to explore. I gave my children room to be who they are, rather than who I want them to be, who I think they should be. And I was able to keep communication open with them. And, you know, I have worked over the last decade uh, with teen, teens in my church community. Uh, and one of the things that, that I have learned in that time is that, that children that age really hunger for adult interaction, adult mentors with adults who, who treat them as, as full people, who treat them as meaningful, who, who aren't directive, who don't tell them, well, this is what you should be doing, this is what you ought to think, this is how you ought to be, um, but who can relate to them in a meaningful way. And I, I believe that I, I was able to do that with my own children very much as a result of things that I learned here. 
And, uh, and I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful to the program that um, I learned those things. And that, you know, my children were able to tell me things about what they thought, about what, how they wanted to be, about what they wanted to do, and, and whether or not they thought I was going to agree with them, whether or not they thought I was going to approve of it. Um, they, they were very open about that sort of thing. Sometimes a little too much, but that's the way it goes. Um, can't say I was a perfect father. I know that. Uh, when our son was dabbling in drugs at the age of 18, uh, I I was not happy about it, uh, particularly the, the drug that he chose to start with, which he chose because, quote, it's non-addictive. Uh, since we had sort of drilled into the kids that they had a genetic predisposition for addiction, he thought, well, I'll, t- I'll take LSD because that's not addictive. <laughs> and I reacted personally to that because when I was young, growing up in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, I was scared of LSD. I just, you know, I heard all the bad trip stories and thought, well, never, never, never. And then for my kid to take that as his first drug and to take it in an unsupervised situation, just, oh, wow, really triggered me. But at the same time, my my personal um, predilection, if you will, to withdrawing from conflict uh, made it difficult for me to confront him and to express my feelings directly. I, really have to admit I delegated a lot of that to my wife, who at least was sober at the time, um, and, uh, and sort of went along with whatever she wanted uh, in that regard. Um, but uh, I really feel like uh, I, was, I was able to be the best father I could be to my teenage children, and I attribute a lot of that to uh, the things that I learned in this program. The things, the tools that I learned, and the practices, and and the practice, the practice at letting go of the alcoholic, um, led to letting go of the teens, and uh, and so now we move into, and I was just uh, chatting with some friends today about this at church about how this this last year is another year of transition. Uh, Twenty five years ago, I was bringing my wife and I were bringing new life into the world. Uh, and now those new lives are moving on. Our daughter is living in, in our same town, but not with us. She has an apartment with a friend, uh, and I think she's soon to be moving in with a boyfriend. She has a job. She has her own car. And she's pretty much taking care of her own life. And we see each other from time to time. We're going to be seeing each other later today. The... Uh, the plan for the evening is dinner and a movie. But anyway, she's moving on. Uh, our other child is also moving on. They are receiving a master's in philosophy through two years of grad school and are currently in a computer programming boot camp to make themselves more employable uh, out in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, had a chat with them last night. Uh, things are, are going well. They're feeling pretty confident that this experience is going to, to lead to a job, uh, which is uh, always a good thing. It was one of my fears about, wow, you're going to go spend, borrow, borrow money to, to, to go to school with, where they promise that 95% of their graduates get a job, but, you know, there's always that 5%. And 
talking to our child last night, they said, uh, looking at the other people that are in the, 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 the boot camp with them, uh, they're feeling much more confident about that they're, they're going to land a job when they get out. And so, hey. Um, so anyway, so these, these children that I spent sort of the last 25 years anticipating, raising, nurturing, supporting, uh, are, are looking to be coming independent. And so my life is changing again. The scope of my life is sort of contracting, uh, getting smaller, or maybe it will bloom out in, in new directions. I don't know. Uh, I'm also about to enter a new decade of my life, a decade in which it's very likely that I will be retiring. And so that also is, is a transition that, that I'm looking at. And, and how am I going to be a father uh, in the coming years as, as my children become independent, hopefully functioning and successful adults? How am I going to be a father? I don't know. And that's okay. It's okay that uh, I can wait without expectations and I can enjoy what comes in my children's life. Which brings us sort of full circle because the relationship that I have with my own father has been changing over the last several years as he moves into his mid, mid to late 80s now. He's becoming more frail. He's becoming, I won't say less competent, but definitely less do-it-yourself. An example, we, we visited over the last couple of years, their, their kitchen faucet leaked. And he had found the exact position into which to put the handle so that it didn't leak. And they were just living with it. And finally they had to have a plumber come out for something else. And the plumber fixed the faucet so it doesn't leak. And I really think that's something that, as a, as a younger man, he would have done himself. Um, but he's got you know, new stresses in his life that he didn't have then. Uh, my mother's health is, is always of concern to us as, as she seems to continue to decline. And I'm, I'm sort of looking ahead, I won't say forward, uh, ahead to a time when I will need to become, in some sense, the father to him. That he will become less able and, and will need help. And that's, that's a very strange concept. That's one that I'm still sort of wrapping my head around. Um, and the other thing that has happened over the last few visits, and I see them two or three times a year, they live... 400 miles away, and so it's, I can't just drop in for the weekend, really. The other thing that has happened is that he has become more physically affectionate. He was never, to my memory, a physically affectionate person, and so we would shake hands when we met and shake hands again when uh, we left, and he has started hugging me, and that's kind of strange. It's nice, but it's strange, and so my relationship with him is changing. He's becoming a, a, different, a different father person, and I'm becoming a different son as we, uh, as we move ever forward, ever forward in our lives. 
So happy Father's Day to you, whether you're a father or a child. Um, and whatever your relationship with your father or with your children might be, my hope for you, my wish for you in this Father's Day would be that you can find a way to be a better father, to be a better child, to at least understand and forgive your own father for the things he might have done in the past. When he was, whether good or bad, being the best father he could at the time. I'd like to close with a Father's Day prayer. Let us praise those fathers who have striven to balance the demands of work, marriage, and children with an honest awareness of both joy and sacrifice. Let us praise those fathers who, lacking a good model for a father, have worked to become a good father. Let us praise those fathers who, by their own account, were not always there for their children, but who continue to offer those children, now grown, their love and support. Let us pray for those fathers who have been wounded by the neglect and hostility of their children. Let us praise those fathers who, despite divorce, have remained in their children's lives. Let us praise those fathers whose children are adopted and whose love and support has offered healing. Let us praise those fathers who, as stepfathers, freely chose the obligation of fatherhood and earned their children's love and respect. Let us praise those fathers who have lost a child to death and continue to hold the child in their heart. Let us praise those men who have no children but cherish the next generation as if they were their own. Let us praise those men who have fathered us in their role as mentors and guides. Let us praise those men who are about to become fathers. May they openly delight in their children. And let us praise those fathers who have died but live on in our memory and whose love continues to nurture us. I'll take a short break before uh, talking about my life in recovery. The first song that I chose which you can listen to on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 117. It's by Eric Clapton. It's called My Father's Eyes. And I found um, a couple of notes about this song on the the Internet. Uh, One says, Clapton is saying that we live on through our children generation after generation. He knew his father finally when he looked in his son's eyes and realized they were his father's eyes. And the other one says, Clapton was raised by his grandparents, who he thought were his parents until he was in his teens. Growing up, he never knew his father, who only contacted him after Eric was famous. The sadness at not having a relationship is evident in this song. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I was thinking about the week and thinking, well, gee, not not much happened really. Um, but you know, that's that's not totally true. And I'm going to, I think I'm going to work backwards. I'm recording this Monday morning, and so last night it was Father's Day, and went out to dinner uh, with my daughter, and my wife, and my daughter's friend, and after that. Uh, we went to see a movie, and the movie we saw is seemed like a very appropriate one for Father's Day. It's called Inside Out. Uh, it's a Pixar movie. When I first saw previews for this movie, I thought, oh, it's another cutesy Pixar movie with animated characters and some slapstick humor. But as luck would have it, on Friday, I was having lunch with some friends, and 
and one of them said, I went to see Inside Out, and it's an amazing movie. I cried through the whole thing, and when I walked out, all I wanted to do was go home and hug my children. He said, if you're a father with a daughter, you need to see this movie. And I thought, wow, that's a very strong recommendation. Uh, and uh, so we went, and I think it didn't hit me as, as strongly as it hit him. My daughter's 24 and grown, and so some of the sort of specific situations to the 11-year-old girl were, were not not hitting me, at, it, it, I think, as, as they did him. But it still is an excellent movie, and I highly recommend it if you're a parent or if you're looking for a lighthearted movie that also has a fairly deep message. Um, and I don't think I'll spoil it for you beyond that. Just see it. Saturday Morning Media uh, is a step meeting. It would have been step four. We, in fact, went all the way through the step four reading, and then this meeting divides into two tables for discussion. And sitting at our table with somebody who had come in to the meeting a little bit late and didn't I didn't recognize this person as, as somebody who'd been to the meeting before. And so I asked, is this your first Al-Anon meeting? And they said, well, they'd been to a couple before, but not seriously. And uh, somebody else around the table said, well, have you ever uh, done a first step table? And they said, no. And so we did the first step. And, you know, the first step is always, is always powerful for me because it takes me back to, to where I was and lets me see where I've come. And, um, also, I get to hear other people's stories or, or parts of other people's stories that I hadn't known before, and I get to know them a little better, the other people in the meeting. And there's a meeting I've only been going to for a couple of years, so there's there are a number of people in the meeting that I, I don't know their story. Uh, and uh, and I think that helps to connect sometimes when when uh, I have an idea where, where people are coming from with what's going on in their lives. On the taking care of myself front... I did okay and not okay, and it's an interesting, interesting mix. I think busy at work, and on Thursday it became clear that the work that we had more or less committed to get done by the end of the week uh, was a little bit behind schedule. Not horribly, but a little bit behind. And so Thursday night I chose to come back into work in the evening and and to work for several hours. Basically, a, another full work day, except without interruptions. I got a whole lot done. I was able to um, sleep in late Friday morning because I had gotten home very late the night before, and come in and and finish off one more one more piece of the of the project and feel really good about it. And so, the taking care of myself part there is that when I went home on Friday evening, I was able to leave work at work. I wasn't fretting about the fact that things weren't done because things were done. It was a very good feeling, and it allowed me to to really just relax on the weekend. And uh, For example, on Saturday, I went to a meeting, took the dog for a bath, uh, which was, was a fun experience because as I was bathing my dog, who is a greyhound and has fairly short hair and, and actually was shedding, a, a, an amazing amount of fur came off of him, but there was another dog in there who was a Malamute who was being blow-dried and brushed and was just shedding vast amounts of very light fur that was floating around in the air everywhere. And and the, every now and then the dog would go, woo, 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 woo. And it just, I, it it was funny and fun. And I don't know why 
but I did have to brush off some Alamute for when we left. Anyway, um, came home, had some lunch, relaxed, took a nap. Wow, I took a nap, which was weird, actually. I woke up uh, at the end of the nap. I woke up, and I was like, oh, my God, what day is this? What, when do I have to get up? And then I realized, oh, it's the middle of the afternoon on Saturday. It's okay. I'm not used to sleeping in the middle of the day, obviously. And I went to a friend's birthday party. Um, and so it was a really laid-back me kind of day. Uh, Sunday similar. Uh, went to church. Uh, took a walk in the uh, the woods and fields behind the church as I recorded uh, today's episode. And I hope you uh, enjoyed the natural sounds as as I was walking and that they didn't um, intrude too much into my discussion. And uh, then in the afternoon, took it easy for a while, mowed the lawn, and uh, and as you heard, uh, went out to dinner and a movie. And did not have to think about work all weekend, and, and that was great to be able to take care of myself that way. So upcoming topics, uh, as I mentioned before, we're going to talk about uh, worry and obsessive thinking. I'll be talking with Akila about some more concepts and how we can apply these concepts of service in our daily lives. And that's the emphasis we try to put on these episodes that are about things that can be otherwise kind of confusing and dry. If we can bring them into our lives, then then we can maybe make sense of them. So we'd love to hear um, your thoughts on these. And I want to thank Tamlin, who called in um, a nice uh, share about uh, obsessive thinking. And uh, I will be playing that uh, during the episode when we talk about obsessive thinking and worry. So thank you for that. And if you want to contribute, you can email feedback at com. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Yes, it's 734-707-8795. You can pause right now and call if you're inspired. It's a podcast. It'll start playing right where you paused it when you start it back up. Uh, and that, that phone number and the email address are also on the website. So really, uh, the only thing you need to remember is therecoveryshow.com. Uh, go there. There's a voicemail button, and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer rather than having to use your phone. might be good if you're outside the U.S., for example. So we'd love to hear from you. Please share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions or thoughts about today's topic of fathers or any of our upcoming topics. And as I said, you can find everything about the show at therecoveryshow.com, including notes for each episode, uh, links to typically music videos uh, of the music we talk about. You can join the conversation by leaving comments there. And if you'd really like to join the conversation, you can consider being a guest host by phone or Skype or Google Hangout or FaceTime or, man, there's so many these days. I had a video conversation with somebody by Facebook recently. I didn't know Facebook did that, but I guess it makes sense. Uh, email feedback at com if you're interested in being a guest host. I'm going to take a short break before we look at the mailbag and the second musical selection, which is also available on the website is The Cats in the Cradle. It's by Harry Chapin. If you grew up around the time I did, I'm sure you heard that song incessantly. Briefly, the song is about a father who never has time for his son while his son's growing up. And then when the father's older and has time, the son is repeating the pattern and his son is 
is too busy to spend time with his father, and the father realizes that, that life has come full circle. We got a couple of comments on the website this week and some email. Karen left this comment on last week's episode, Gather Your Chairs in a Circle. She says, Spencer, I'm looking forward to the obsessive thinking and worry episodes. I'm a year into Al-Anon and those two things plus the anxiety they produce drove me to Al-Anon seeking relief. The slogans such as let go and let God and easy does it helped almost immediately as they can be repeated to myself out loud if necessary. I have a sponsor. I'm currently working step four. Today's blueprint homework included questions about fear. I think my obsessive thinking usually starts with fear, such as when I can't reach a loved one or haven't heard from a loved one in a while. I'm quick to leap to no news is bad news or the worst possible scenario to fill in the gaps. It seems to me that cognitive behavioral therapy and Al-Anon have some of the same goals to teach us to challenge the truthfulness and usefulness of our thoughts in very practical ways. The amount of time I have wasted on obsessive thinking, worry, and minding everyone else's business is phenomenal. I have so much more time now. Thank you for the podcast and for your sustained commitment to it. What a great contribution. Blessings to you and your family, Karen. And, and thanks, Karen. When I came into the program, uh, the first thing I picked up was let go and let God. Um, or just let go. Because as I've said, I had a little trouble with the let God part. Uh, that was a lifesaver for me early on. And uh, Tanya also commented on the website. Hello to you, Spencer and your crew. I love, love, love your podcast. It has brought me sanity in times when I found it difficult as an adult child of alcoholics to make decisions. It's brought me clarity and understanding about boundaries, isolation, and about doing recovery abroad. It gave me courage to take steps and get out and meet people I wouldn't have done before. I'm so grateful. Your personal sharing is such service as it has helped me realize I'm not alone in facing my fears, my shame, my procrastination, and my lack of responsibility and awareness at times. Despite all these, I'm still perfectly imperfect and lovable, loving, and loved by my higher power. I listened to your podcast on isolation for the second time and savored being alone and being slow and being meditative. I missed a lot the first time I heard it and have come to learn that co-addicts have so much of the same traits as addicts. I find listening difficult, and through the podcasts and the online meetings I'm attending as face-to-face are geographically almost impossible at present, I'm becoming a better listener. Progress, not perfection. I'm about to start step four, and I'm apprehensive yet hopeful because of the recovery I hear on your podcast. I'm frustrated by not having found a sponsor, but all the different resources and speakers have made me aware that I have to do the work myself and rely on and trust my higher power to present the most suitable co-sponsors or outreach at that time. I've learned that this is an ongoing process. Thanks for your honesty and commitment. It is good modeling for me as I try to find the best balance in taking care of myself in recovery. Warm wishes in fellowship and in recovery, Tanya. And and thank you so much, Tanya, for that very personal sharing and uh, for your progress. It's always... You know, it's always good to to see other people's progress because sometimes we don't see our own without seeing it in other people as well. Michelle sent an email. Spencer, I'm a grateful listener to your podcast and just finished the Gather Your Chairs in a Circle, episode 116. One of my delusions is that isolation can and will protect me from pain and abandonment. So your discussions of that resonated with me. It is a tradition of mine to listen to the podcast while in the car en route to family gatherings. 
The peace and serenity I carry into and from these destinations is a testament to the power of God and the program working in my life. And you are doing so much to spur that along with your podcasts. Thank you from my nourished soul. One of your upcoming episodes is on fear and worry. So I'm offering you this meditation, a selection from my manifesto. If only, should have, would have, and might have are faulty and destructive, self-critical theorizations that sap my energy into the past, where it can do me no good. Similarly, hopes or worries for other people's behavior or future circumstance, fantasy or dread, also vacuums myself from my present truth and life and vitality. I choose to be present in the right now of my own life. This is where God lives. This is the location of the well of God's provision. Blessings, Michelle. And, and thanks for that meditation, Michelle. I th- might put that up on the, uh, on the website as a separate post. As a meditation post, which I haven't had one of in quite a while. I want to read a couple of iTunes reviews from March of this year. One from Astrid in the UK. This is like a mini-meeting and so great. If you live somewhere like me where they aren't on that often, can't recommend highly enough. Another one titled, Awesome Podcast. This podcast is outstanding. The producers present such clear, helpful information and support for those struggling with addiction or who have a loved one in that situation. Even though they are lay people and not professionals, the shows are top quality, cogently structured, and brimming with good information, ideas, and suggestions for this often perilous journey. Like I said, outstanding. And, and thank you both for those reviews. And iTunes reviews and ratings do help others who are in need, who are seeking recovery, to find us more easily. And if you are concerned about anonymity, you can give us a rating uh, without writing a review, and it will not show your identity. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Allison and Anthony did. And thank you again, Allison and Anthony, for your support. We've also I've put together a list of recovery-related books that you can find by clicking the books link, uh, which is currently at the top of the page until I rearrange it to be more phone-friendly. And if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we receive a small commission. And I want to thank the people who've done that uh, for the uh, occasional gift cards that I get from Amazon that help to uh, pay for some of the services that Amazon provides for us as uh, we do the podcast. I want to thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. might be just listening, might be recommending us to your friends. We are here for you. The last song selection, I picked this song because it's one that my father used to sing. One of the, the talents that my father had that, that I never managed to uh, acquire was playing the guitar and singing. And when we were camping in the summertime, as, as we did, one of our evening entertainments was sitting around in a circle and singing. And he and my mother would, would play their guitars and sing. And he would play this song. And I think he actually learned it from the version that I'm about to talk about. Because basically, the, what, what the version that I remember him playing is almost exactly the version that, that you will hear here. This is, the song is Rock Island Lined. Uh, the performance is Lead Belly. I'm not sure whether he wrote it. Uh, it's a little hard sometimes with these songs that have been around forever that a lot of people have sung to know where it actually originated. But in any case, it brings back uh, memories of my father and of my childhood, and that's, that's why I chose it. 
Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. My understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time. Thank <laughs> you.